Beloved of God, welcome to Thursdays at the Table, where we engage in conversation centered in justice, liberation, and God's unconditional love. Today, I have the privilege to welcome to this table two gifted and extraordinary colleagues that I'm just so honored to be in relationship and ministry with. Bishop Marianne Edgar Buddy is the Diocesan Bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of Washington, D.C., a diocese that includes the District of Columbia and portions of Maryland in contiguous relationship thereto. She was consecrated the ninth Bishop of Washington, D.C. in 2011, and she and I share the distinction of being the first females to lead the areas where we are now serving. She's the author of several books, the latest of which is How We Learn to Be Brave, Decisive Moments in Life and Faith. If you've not read this, I commend it to your reading. It's a wonderful book. Bishop Buddy is married and has two children, sons, I believe. Again, something else she and I share. And then so grateful to be able to welcome to the table Bishop Leila Ortiz. She is the Bishop of the Metropolitan Washington, D.C. Synod of the Lutheran Church, which includes conferences in the District of Columbia, portions of Virginia, and Maryland. She was elected in 2019. She is an alumna of the Lewis Center of Church Leadership at Wesley Theological Seminary and the author of numerous articles, uh, and she's co-authored a chapter entitled Pentecostal Latinas, Engendering Selves in Storefront Congregations, which is found in Faith on the Avenue, Religion on a City Street. Bishop Ortiz recently got married, congratulations, and is the mother of two daughters. She refers to herself as Luthercostal because of her upbringing in the Pentecostal church and now her ministry again within the Lutheran faith. My beautiful, bold, brave, brilliant, beloved sisters, here we are. Here we finally are. I could not be more excited. I've wanted us to come together in conversation since 2019 when Bishop Ortiz was installed. We have been together, as the young people say, we've been out in those streets together. Yes, yes, we have marched together. We have prayed together. We've stood as witnesses against injustice together. And so, again, thrilled to be able to be in conversation with you. Um, The thought that we three women, two of whom are women of color, would be in leadership in the center of power of these United States of America is both amazing and inspiring. And so now I want us to get to the deepest things that we know. Bishops, coffee or tea? (laughs) Coffee for me, thanks. (laughs) Tea for me. All right, all right. See, now I have to confess, I'm often a coffee person, but I'm just getting over a respiratory infection. So today I have tea in this mug, Uh, but caffeinated or decaf? Uh, This time of day for me, it's decaf. Okay, okay. For me, usually always caffeinated. See, I'm I'm telling you, Bishop Ortiz, I'm with you. I I need leaded every day, all day, all times. Um, Mm -hmm. And you know, The mug that I select often has a meaning that corresponds to the podcast that we're taping that day. And today's simply says blessed. 
because I'm blessed. I'm blessed to know you. I'm blessed to serve with you. And I'm blessed to watch the powerful ways that you are leading in these times. Bishop Buddy, Mm -hmm. I want to start with something that comes to us from your book. Again, how we learn to be brave. You quote Howard Thurman concerning the spiritual strength required to accept an unchosen fate as one's destiny. We've come to leadership at a time that nobody could have predicted. We could not escape and for which there is no script other than the word of God. What have you learned or are you learning as we've had to lead through these complex times? Well, first of all, Bishop Luttrell, thank you for allowing me to be part of this amazing trinity of women. It's a great joy to see you both on my screen and to be part of this reflective and important conversation. Uh, The operative description is our learning. I don't think we're out of anything yet. And so I would say that um, I am learning daily that um, the foundational practices and disciplines of faith are um, are deeply challenged in times like this mm-hmm. and are therefore all the more necessary. And for me personally, I have waxed and waned in my practices and in my um, confidence and in my understanding of everything. Yes. Um, And what I come back to, kind of like middle C on the piano, are the things that I have been taught and learned and have counted on in days past, right? It's like, just hang on to what God has promised, hang on to what hope looks like in challenging times, and also perhaps um, not to take too seriously my my emotional state or my even my opinions on a, any given day mm. but to trust in the ebb and fl- to trust that um that the reality that i'm working that i'm swimming in is bigger than all of that it's not that that's not important data mm-hmm. but they may not be the most important data points in terms of understanding um how best to navigate so I guess it's a kind of dead reckoning that mm. to sum it up, you know, that just taking everything that I've got plus an openness to what I might learn from the people around me or the situations as I change and um, and keep on taking the next faithful step. Ah, that, amen. That's what I'm learning. It's some of what I'm learning. That's a phrase that I have come to use often. Let us just continue to take the next faithful step. We don't have to see a mile down the road. We certainly can never see around the corner, right? But if we take the next faithful step, we can know that God is with us and that that we are leaning in to to that which to which we have been called. Thank you. Right. I, I guess I get you know, just to say, I, and, and even when I don't feel it, right? Mm. Like even when I don't feel it, you know, I believe in God even when God is silent. You yes. know, I believe um. even when, and so there is, and then when grace meets me, you know, I can go a long way on that. You know, I can go a long way right. on 
just a little bit of faith. Right? See, people in this conference know that I'm sitting here wanting to burst out in, in Mark Miller's song. I believe in the sun. I believe in the sun, even Me when too. it's not shining. Right. Yes. We believe in God, even when God is silent. Amen. Bishop Ortiz, share with us what you are learning as as we continue in these, again, complex times. Well, I also want to say thank you for the invitation. This is a very exciting conversation and um, one that I crave all the time just to be in space with like minded leaders who are still inspired by God's grace and the move of the Holy Spirit. This Mm. is a huge gift. And so thank you for inviting me into this conversation. I think um, I've been serving now for four years. I'm in year five and um, just had an anniversary. And every year I tend to write something right to share with the Synod, where I'm at, what I'm thinking. And I realized looking back that I had a whole lot of things that I thought I knew Mm. about myself, about the church, about the world, that looking back, it's like, oh, that was cute. That's so that's so (laughs) nice that she thought those things. Um, There's so much more. Right. And I think that while it's been quite difficult, um, it's also been quite holy. And the, the verse that that is always consistent for me is in Romans, this be not trans be be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And yes. I think that's what I've been learning, that I am in consistent renewal of my mind and what I thought I knew and into what God is actually inviting us into. Um, I thought that I could lean on my skills and resources. I thought that I had every single idea that was incredible and amazing. I thought I, 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 right? Um, But really, (laughs) it's never, never been about me, 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 right? It's never really even been about us and our skills and our abilities. It's all about God and how Jesus and the Holy Spirit are inviting us into newness, of life and what does that mean? So this renewal of my mind has been something that um, has been a grace point for me mm. because I don't have to rely on saying, yes, I know this, I know this, I know that. I know enough, God knows it all, right? Mm. Um, and God uses what what God does and um, invites us into some really interesting spaces um, <laughs> in, this, in this journey. But I think that's what I'm learning and leaning into that there is an invitation and a grace in the renewing of our minds. Absolutely. Thank you. So I'm going to follow up on something in just a moment because you've now named a scripture that is grounding you and you keep coming back to that Romans passage. Um, what what I think I learned is that to to, to trust the wisdom that, that those elders and and mothers had poured into me, and that is to keep the main thing, the main thing. What do I mean by that? That even as leaders, especially as leaders, we must always have our own deep faith practices. We must constantly be in prayer ourselves, in study, um, that, that, that we have to remember we're disciples on the road, even as we lead. And, and I feel like in some ways, those who um, f- began to feel the most lost during the pandemic and, and during some of what we've come through are those who were 
only engaging in those practices in preparation for something else, in preparation for preaching, in preparation for leading something, but not remembering that we too are spiritual beings who need to continue to, to have that connection, right? That, that we're branches connected or we're on the vine connected. And also that we are always called to community. One of the things that I lament so much about our Western spirituality is often it's reduced to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, of course, that's important, right? It, at some point, we all have to have that moment of conversion. You know, in, in, in our Wesleyan polity, we talk about the heart strangely warmed. We all need to have that, but that's only the beginning. And, and I think the pandemic has reminded us how much we need community. So if it's only a personal relationship or if it's only the local church being inwardly focused, right? That, that, that's not enough. And, and the pandemic reminded us how much we need and must rely on one another. And so just to not, for me, not to let go of that wisdom, that mother wit, that again, those who I looked up to and, and, and have helped me along my journey into ministry instilled in me, but sometimes folks will sort of, um, or, 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 or time might beat it out of you, right? Might, might try to say, ah, that's not that important. Ah, that wasn't. No, it is. We, we have to keep the main thing, the main thing. And when we don't, at moments of crisis, at moments of struggle, at moments of deep challenge, it will evidence itself that we've lost that footing and that grounding. Um, so, so that's part of what I, I am learning a, a, as I come through and lead through this season. Um, now again, Bishop Ortiz referenced the Romans passage. And so, so Bishop Buddy, I, I'm going to share the scripture that continues, um, to ground me. And then I'm going to come to you and ask you what, what scripture is there a particular scripture that you look to? And I look to that, uh, Jeremiah passage. If you have raced with men on foot and they have wearied thee, how will you compete with horses? And if you stumble in a safe place, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? Because <laughs> I, I feel like, um, we have to, be able and adept at leading in chaos, in confusion, leading against uh, uh, those who are comfortable with the status quo, <laughs> who don't want to to uh, be risk taking. Um, we have to lead against. Uh, I'm going through our denominations, going through schism. So having to lead right now in the midst of schism. If I'm only able to lead in safe spaces or when things are calm, uh, then I'm, I'm not able to really lean into the breadth and depth, the complexity of leadership. And, and, and it will quite frankly, um, be, be a failure of leadership in these conferences again that I have the privilege, uh, to serve. And so I come back to that Jeremiah passage. Bishop Buddy, what, what scripture grounds you? Um. Great passages, both mine and it has been for most of my ordained life. It has not changed. Um, is the story, the, the story of Jesus and the loaves and the fish, you know, the miracle of the loaves and the fish. And I, I experience it in, in many different facets, but the, the, the main piece that I feel is my foundational gift with, or my foundation, my foundational, um, um, 
relationship to Christ is the um, the imperative to offer what I have mm. and um, and offer it and and offer it in full knowledge that it's not going to be enough that that's not an that's not a reason not to make the offering mm-hmm. um, and to um, and sometimes I make the offering and the miracle is as as the scripture says that somehow enough is enough is made or even an abundance is made or the miracle of communal sharing other times, you know, it's not enough and I fail Mm. or the, you know, the effort is not fruitful. And yet, and I, and yet I've learned even then that the offering and the, the obedience of offering is what I commit to. Right. And sometimes I have my greatest learnings and my my greatest growth as a leader when 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 I fail or mm. when the offering is not when there's no miracle to yes. meet me in the middle. Um, and other times it's um, it's it's always a reminder, I suppose. It's just not it's not in my hands, mm. and that I am not I'm not driving this thing. Right. I'm making my offering. And inviting others to be brave and to do the same, and maybe that's, um, and maybe that's the, uh, and you know, and I was thinking about this just the other day because it just occurred to me um, two days ago as I was praying about this that I, I, I had forgotten that in you know in all four versions. The disciples and Jesus are exhausted, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. You know, they're all exhausted. They were exhausted before the day started, right? You know, yes. like, come away to a quiet place and pray with me, he says, right? Yes. And the, all the crowds come. And so, like, right? So, even when you're at the end of everything you got, mm. uh, sometimes, not always, but sometimes the, you know, what, what you know, to just, just give me what you have and, um, and we'll, we'll make something of it. So. Uh. That's That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Now, you used an F word in your response, uh, an F word that often I think leaders are afraid of, and that's failure. Failure. You used that F word. And I tell you, part of, of, of my ethos as a leader is that if we're never failing, and 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 I'm talking about from the pew again to the episcopacy. If we're not failing at some point, we're not trying hard enough. We're not doing enough. We're 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 safe. We're not risk taking. Um, and and so uh, I certainly understand from her response, uh, from Bishop Buddy's response, that she's not afraid of failure. Bishop Ortiz. Um, well, I wouldn't say res- I'm not afraid of failure. Okay. I would All right. say that I have accepted that it's it comes with the terrain. Okay. All right. All right. So so not being so careful that you're always right. trying to right. avoid I'm not going failure. to allow the fear of failure to stop me. That there is we true. go. And true. does that resonate with you, Bishop Ortiz? Yeah, I just try to fail fast and move to the next thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I learned that from a colleague that um, worked with me before. And he was always like, you know, we're going to fail. This is going to happen. And the hope is that you just fail fast and move on. Right. Take what you've learned from that experience and lean into another risk. Right. Lean yes. into another possibility that can actually land well and come alive in ways that are helpful. Um, right. But yeah, failure. My goodness. That's one of my greatest fears. And in this point, it's just 
unavoidable. Right. It's inevitable. Right. Right. And so how do we how do we lead? And um, thankfully, I don't I don't I don't I try not to fail very often. But when I do, man, is it bad? You know, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, man, everyone saw this one. Um, or at least I feel as if that's the case. Well, but I think I think I, you know, and I, um, I my experience has been that when I fail or when I watch others work through, you know, the, the colossal, what they would consider to be a colossal failure. And I've had several mm-hmm. that what, um, what matters most is how I respond after that. Yes. yes. And it actually, it, that response matters more in the long run than the event itself in terms of how people remember it. Nice. And, um, and so I try to I try to think of that when I'm on the other side of something that I have to really come to terms with that. And I think people want to know how we respond. Yes, absolutely. Or, just, or even just a deep disappointment. It doesn't necessarily have to be a failure per se, right. it's a right. personal failure, right. but something that didn't work out or, you know, the things that you regret. Um, it it. it it, it not only gives others permission to do the same, but mm-hmm. also I think they our trust, their ability to trust us is increased when they know we can come around and acknowledge. Mm-hmm. That's and, right. And make restitution, as as they say in 12 steps, you know, make restitution. Absolutely. And- Absolutely. For me, I think that I learn the most when when something has failed. You know, if if everything always goes to plan. If everything always goes right and someone were to ask me, how did you do that? I don't know that I can explain it as well as when something failed and then we had to make correction. Then we had to figure out where we we had been wrong in our assessment or in our planning, overcame that, and then we're able to achieve the goal. Now I can say, ah, here's what happened. So for me, failure becomes a valuable crucible out of which right? There's deep learning, deep understanding, um, and again, a teachable moment. It becomes a teachable moment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So again, uh, speaking of of failure or disappointment, every day there seems to be another article about the decline or the demise of denominational affiliations and dwindling church attendance. Are either of you daunted uh, but but by that perpetual uh, publishing uh, of where our denominations are, or even where uh, spirituality is here in in the United States, daunted. Um, I think I've had some time to observe from this perspective, where are our congregations and where is the spirituality of the church and the people now? And I, again, lean on our theology. We are people of death and resurrection. And there is something um, to be said about what is causing this particular um, decline? And, And is it just the churches that are dying, but 
what what was dying before that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what what was happening in the space before that? What was happening in the sp- in the in the heart and in the spirit and in the minds of the people, where outreach wasn't necessarily a priority, where evangelism? Well, what do you say? Right. Evangelism. What are we going to say about Jesus? What are we going to say if? Maybe we've never really known Jesus. Maybe we've known about Jesus, but we haven't necessarily known Jesus. So how do we speak about someone that we do not know? Um, and therefore, how do we grow in our faith and in our spirits and in um, in number if we have not engaged or built a relationship with the one who calls us, right? And so daunted Yes, it's a whole lot of work and it's painful and it's really difficult to reimagine and to be in the process of death, mm-hmm. right? right. Um, for the sake and hope of resurrection that maybe life will come in a brand new way. Maybe church will happen in a completely new and life-giving way that can no longer look as it did, right? right? right. Um, which I find beautiful and necessary and essential. It's where we are, and I think, um, in some cases where we're headed. But I'm... I'm because of what I've observed and what I see and how difficult it is for us to talk about Jesus, I'm not surprised. Mm. Right. Mm. So while daunted, I'm not necessarily surprised or shocked by, by the decline because um, there's a fear of, of preaching the gospel and being associated with Christian nationalism, for instance, right? right. There's a fear right. of being, misunderstood and so there's a fear of losing relationships because of what i say and what you might believe right there's this fear this polarization that doesn't allow for us to be authentic in our faith and so when we're not authentic and audacious in our faith yes and we don't have evangelism we don't have outreach and we don't have um a living spirit that inspires um contagion mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and so um it's really hard. It's really painful. It's very difficult, especially because Jesus is enough, more than enough. Amen. I mean, Jesus is, is the lover of our souls, the one who sets us free. And the fact that we are afraid to share that news um, saddens my spirit, right? It Amen. saddens um, my heart, knowing that society and culture has made it so that... Um, for lack of a better word, I think even as Americans, we have been seduced by culture and society to the point of forgetting that our identity is not by color, color meaning political color or partisanship, right. but our identity should be in Christ, right? Mm, um, indeed, indeed. Long before we take on other markers of identity, yes. Republican, Democrat, right. progressive, liberal, um, mm. gay, straight, Right. Right. Our identity should be in Christ. I'm going to follow up with you on something in a moment, but I I want to offer Bishop Buddy an opportunity if she feels led to to also weigh in on that, you know, the bad news that's published all the time. And and if that daunts you at all in your leadership. Thanks. I'm certainly sobered by it. And I came into the Episcopate. um, So I've been at this now for 12 years. I came into it with a clear determination that that was what I wanted to focus on, which was how to help. um, Because I I believe in the um, 
I believe, uh, as I do for both the Lutheran and the Methodist Church, that the Episcopal Church has a particular role to play on the mm-hmm. spectrum of Christianity. And I want us to occupy that space with as much strength and confidence and joy as and um, and compelling mission as we possibly can. Right. So I'm sober that it's it's been as 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 challenging as it has been. Deeply curious, and and Layla, all the things you said, I can, um, I could really, you know, I'm, I could really understand. Um, and I am, I'm curious uh, how it's going to play out, and what what I can do from my place now, and how I can lead in such a way that we can face the future, whatever it is. If it is a death and resurrection cycle, is it a revitalization cycle? Mm -hmm. Is it a um, learning best? You know, I think there's a whole spectrum of ways we might, um, we might find a way to um, share what has been entrusted to us in such a way Mm -hmm. that people find that, Find value in their lives yes. and in their walk with God. Yes, and if we can do that. Then, and and that's that's what I try to focus on. You were talking earlier about the main thing. Mm-hmm. That's kind of my main thing, right? And to say, you know, there are probably reasons why some of our churches aren't growing. In fact, I could name them for them, <laughs> but I'm not. I'm not sure that's I'm not sure that's helpful. So right. I'm I'm trying to you know just say okay what. Um, what can we do and what, um, where are the signs of life? And that's what I'm also focusing on right now. Mm-hmm. Like where, where is the spirit moving and how can I do whatever I can to amplify and strengthen that, um, in the, in the years I have left? That's, that's what I'd like to do. Oh, don't, uh, we don't want to hear that in the years you have left. We don't even want to focus on that. All right. You can't leave till I leave. You can't leave until right, I'm reassigned. Right. Well, we'll talk this year, but I'm not talking about leaving. I'm just talking about mortality, right? Amen. I mean, all right. All right. There we go. Bishop Ortiz, you said, maybe we've never really known Jesus. When you said that, you took me back to my days as a district superintendent. Um, in the Methodist church, you know, um, there's a bishop, but then there's the one who superintends um, that um, is called a district superintendent and and has a cohort of churches that they bring leadership to. I remember my worst day uh, as a district superintendent. I was leading a church conference and people knew this question was coming. You know, everyone knew every church conference was structured in the same way to begin with. And they knew that I was going to be asking people to offer testimony about their personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Just get up and talk about your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I was never more disappointed than when people rose to talk to me about their relationship with their cats, their Mm -hmm. dog, their grandchildren, but very few people could talk to me and offer testimony about their relationship, their understanding of, of a relationship. And as I said before, that's just a starting point. We we, we branch off from there into community because I firmly believe that we are always called to community, that Acts 2 chapter uh, about holding everything in common and our mission and ministry coming through community. But if you don't, know Jesus for yourself, as as my ancestors would say. If you don't know that you know that you know who Christ is, where's your grounding? 
What, what is happening in our local churches that we're not ensuring that people have met Christ? What's mm-hmm. happening that people can't articulate a relationship with Christ over against a cat, a dog, or a beautiful grandchild? Yeah. So I, I mean, my perspective, um, I come from the Pentecostal church, right? And when I was growing up, I was in church six days a week, Um we had prayer night, youth night, adult night, women night, right? Men's <laughs> yes. night. I mean, we were we were in community pretty much twenty four seven, which was extremely formative. Not only as community, but I didn't have a choice but to get to know Jesus, right? Mm. Or for Jesus to come to me right. on a consistent basis. The structures that we have and the ways that we function today is that we have worship on Sunday for an hour. Mm. Together for an hour, the sermon is relatively between 10 and 12 minutes, and people feel very much um, comforted by that hour, and they they're sent right mm. there's a check oh we did we did church on sunday and i'll see you next week right right the reality is that there's nothing that we do in life for an hour a week that is sustainable we can't eat for one hour a week we can't exercise for one hour a week and see a difference we can't right there's just it's not enough time and so right. Because we're competing with society and we're competing with with soccer and we're competing with all the extracurriculars and all the demands of of our society for the sake of success or for the sake of whatever it may be. Right. Um, we don't necessarily give Christ a priority um, in our lives or the time to get to know. Right. You, to build a relationship, you, you need time. Right. Right. Um, so I think that that's one element. Um, it's not everything, but I think mm-hmm. there is something to do with the the expectations of our of our worship space, and yes. that there's something in our minds that says that our worship is limited to Sunday morning for an hour and hasn't expanded beyond that beyond right. that space. Um, also, at least in our tradition, right, we had the the large and small catechism. The expectation was that we would go to church on Sunday for for the Eucharist and for the word. And then the rest of the week, you were engaging in your, your discipleship around the table with your family. Right? right. So the formation, the Christian formation wasn't for the church, uh, the, the church's responsibility it was the family's responsibility. Right. Mm. And so all of that has shifted quite significantly. So at this point. I remember I had a choice when I was a kid whether to um, do do soccer or some kind of some kind of sport or go to church. I'd rather go to church and be part of the liturgical dance team. Mm, <laughs> that amen. was my story. Amen. Right? Um, but today, that's not even that's not even a debate. Right. 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 Today, in in, in many homes, it's not. Right. You you talk about um, again that that formation. Um, I had the privilege of preaching at Chautauqua this summer, uh, and uh, in in one of the sermons, I was quoting uh, from a book called Becoming Friends, and it talked about how even our worship has become entertainment, mm-hmm. that, that um, because we are such a consumerist society and we're accustomed to being entertained, and the moment we don't like something, we can swipe up or swipe left, we can turn change the channel. We rid ourselves of anything we don't like. And unfortunately, it, it, it tells us that Sunday morning worship has capitulated to that as well. And so rather than becoming a place where we're challenged, where we're stretched, 
where we're forced to, to be cloaked in humility and get to know Christ and God for, for, for who they are, that, that again, sermons are safe. Sermons are safe and, and are entertaining. So I think that for me, that's part of, of, of why we've lost that connectivity. Bishop Buddy, I don't know if you want to also, if this resonates with anything you've experienced. Um, I'm really taking in what both of you have said. I, um, I, I feel the, the responsibility of, um, finding, of seeking out in the culture we live in now, ways to embody and communicate the love of God in Christ mm. and recognizing that the older, much of what we've inherited does not speak to the wider society. Mm-hmm. And the people for whom it does speak, it speaks very powerfully. And, um, and so I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not a sort of iconoclast. I'm not just trying to crash things down, but I am deeply curious about what is speaking and what does resonate and where Christ is in that. Um, so I try really hard to, you know, in my better days, and I, you know, I'm not always at my best, but I try really hard to be open to whatever that might be. And also to learn from the parts of the Christian community writ large that are better at this than we are in the Episcopal Church and just pay attention. I've been doing, I mean, I've just did a whole study this summer on really like what are the offerings that other churches, other denominations, traditions are offering that seem to be really proving helpful Mm. in, in encouraging people on a path Yes. A relationship with Christ, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and just learn and try and and not because I, I, you know, like as you were saying, well, if we don't start there, um, that's the, I, so I, I really want to, I really want to live into that difficult space for as, as best I can to mm-hmm. learn what I can and to learn from people who are experiencing fruitfulness. Right. Um, so that's what I would say. Yeah. And and as we're all trying to do this, understanding that we're serving in contexts that are very diverse. Mm-hmm. I know that uh, from the outside looking in at one of the conferences I lead, um, I, I had the impression that it was um, of one mind about being very open and inclusive, uh, about being welcoming to, to all people. And I got here and found out that was not the case. <laughs> and I, I think, again, e- even um, some of, of the literature that's been published recently about the dichotomy between sometimes clergy and those in the pew, those who are clergy often are uh, more progressive than those that they're leading in the pew. How are you leading and and trying to seek unity across the diversity of of, of uh, you know, your mission fields. And, and for me, I'm always seeking ways to do that, that don't diminish anybody, right? Because I don't know about you, but I want everybody at the table. We are not the, the beloved community of God if we're all identifying as progressive or if we're all traditionalists. How do we lead 
across that kind and, and yet lift unity across that kind of diversity. I am. I think about this all the time um, because my Senate covers some of Maryland, some of Virginia and D.C. proper. And one of the things that I've had to believe time and time again, realize, right, talk about renewing my mind um, is that I'm not just called to those who agree with me. Yes. Yes. I'm called to everyone. And the same is true of everyone. Everyone is called to everyone, not just to those who agree with them or right. look like them or have the same experiences. And so um, I think I think what is true for everyone is that we need to be told the truth mm-hmm. and we need to tell the truth. And I think that's been a really difficult thing in our context, in our season, in this time to tell the truth and not only tell the truth, but tell the whole story. Yes. Right. Um, And so I say that to say there are times and seasons, I do this myself, where I lean heavy on the law and everything that's going wrong Mm -hmm. with the church, with the world, (laughs) with life. It's just really, really heavy. This is the worst. But that's not the whole story. Amen. Amen. Um, There's so much more life and beauty and excitement and joy that is happening all at the same time. And then I encounter seasons. I don't it's not usually me. It's other people who are very, very high on the really awesome things that are happening. And this is what we're doing. And I feel so good about myself and I'm amazing. And this is an amazing church and amazing world. Oh my God. You know, all these things. And that's not the whole truth. That's not the whole story. And so I think my, my call and my, um, the hardest work that I've had to do as a leader is to, tell the truth and tell the whole story, mm. especially when we're leaning one way or the other. Yes. For the sake of life itself, right? For the sake of justice, for the sake of the gospel, we need to tell the truth. And I don't, and I don't lean on telling the truth, especially hard truths, like a bully. I don't think right. bullies are effective. Right. <laughs> it That's right. Work. Um, and it's not faithful, right? Right. But tell the truth in a way that is invitational. Like, did you know this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Had you considered this, mm-hmm. right? So that, as Bishop Buddy was saying, how, this curiosity piece, how do we turn judgments into curiosity? Yes, because right? it's so always better, right? Yes, because we're, we're defensive. We're always, you know, like, wait, you know, if you come at me, I already know what I'm going to say. Well, that's not where we're at. We're, right. we're going to turn judgment into curiosity, leaning with the question, what's what's going on here and why are we here? Why is this happening? How might we be complicit in this reality? Mm. And when I say we, I mean we. You mean we. Even, yeah. That's right. Even, That's right. right. That's right. Yeah. Tell the truth. You, you, uh, another one of my euphemisms, those who work with me will tell you, I always say, tell the whole truth. Tell yes. the whole truth. And we have to tell it in love. And and yes. that love, the love of God and the love yes. of Jesus Christ, if mm-hmm. we're convicted by it, for me, um, then th- that is the unifying element. And the ground at the foot of the cross is level. Mm-hmm. And I don't care who we are. We're convicted by that and called to something beyond ourselves that is supposed to be for the good of the body, not just for the good of Latrell or those right. that Latrell likes, but it's mm-hmm. for the good of everybody, which means, guess what? Sometimes Latrell's not going to get what she wants or That's what right. she had even <laughs> hoped for, but it's about, it's about 
being able to think beyond my mm-hmm. own desires, needs, wants to the community. Bishop Buddy, I'm going to let you jump in here because we've only got about six minutes left, believe it or not. And I want us to touch on an important topic before we have to conclude. I just briefly say that one of the things that two things, one, um, genuine interest in another human being and who they are and what their lives are like go a long way in bridging other differences mm-hmm. and spending time with people and letting them know that you care, that yes. you really, really care, um, and that you believe that God cares and that there is, in fact, um, something greater that unites us rather than uh, the the whatever it is that might be um, dividing us. Now, that said, in a time like ours, there are there's also need for clarity. Mm-hmm. And um, someone said to me very early in my episcopate that uh, that it does. I do. I'm serving no one if I pretend to. I pretend not to be clear about something I am in fact clear about okay. for the sake of relationship. Ah. Right? And so, if I'm actually clear about something, I'm not going to. I'm not going to patronize you by pretending I'm not, so that we can stay in relationship. I'm going to be. Cl- I'm going to be clear. And yet also open to you as a person whose clarity might be in a very different direction. Right. I like um, that. I'm not going to pretend to be. I, it's, um, yeah, and the other good. thing is, if I'm not clear about something, I'm not going to pretend that I am. Mm. Right? I'm going to, you know, I'm going to live in that ambiguity with you. But um, and that was very helpful in the early days of our conversa- conversations about the presence of LGBTQ plus persons in the yes. church and my position as I was coming into this diocese. It's yes. like, you know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll debate a lot of things with you, but that's not one I'm going to debate mm. with you. Amen. And I, I, I remember reading and hearing of you taking that stand and, and that has encouraged me to, oh. to be able to stand firm in my belief yeah. that all people are beloved of God and called of God. But as you said, but also have enough convicted humility to still be able to be in conversation and to love those who don't share that. I want to make sure we have some time before we conclude to talk about what it's like to be women in ministry, um, even as there's still some who resist that understanding. Uh, Not too long ago, I got a letter from a gentleman in one of the churches that I had been invited to come preach in, and he took it upon himself to remind me that women were not supposed to be in leadership (laughs) over men in the church. Now, mind you, uh, this denomination has been ordaining women for over 50 years, uh, as two of our denominations have, and one is on the precipice of that. Um, Do you still expend any time or energy defending your call or consecration? And what what word of encouragement would you give for some women who are wrestling with call? Yeah, I um, do. I still wrestle with that. I'm, it, there is some wrestling. I, I'm also um, the first the first woman to be called as bishop in, in our Senate. And oh, I didn't know that. Be- Thank you. Yeah, and hope happened to be a woman of color, um, Latina, and you know happened not to be cradle Lutheran, right? So I had a whole <laughs> lot of things come against me. Yes, and yet um, there's this term that that I've heard a lot um, in this culture, in white culture in particular, is that um, you have really big shoes to fill, right? And that never sat well with me, um, especially when it came to ministry, because 
God didn't call me to fill someone else's shoes. God called me to walk in mine. Mm. Right. And so when people try to compare me or ask me, why don't you do things like your predecessor? Well, because God called this person with this skin and this gender and this humanity to serve in this role. Um, And so it's more about people aren't so brave and so bold have yet to come to me and say, well, you shouldn't be. Um, But there is something that is very like, well, we should do things like before. Well, you know, could it be that we're not called to compare our ministries or our, our, um, the ways in which our call takes on life to another human being, whether they're male, female, wherever, whoever they may be. Um, but that God called us in our skin, right? Absolutely. And my skin happens to be brown and female. Mm-hmm. And so what does it mean for me as a woman? What does it mean for anyone who's listening in your skin for you to show up? Because you have been the one that's been called for such a time as this. Amen. Not the prior or the one next to us, but you. But you. Bishop Buddy. Thank you. Thank you, Bishop. Thank you. I don't, I personally, no, I don't, I don't struggle anymore with the validity of the call. Mm -hmm. I think generationally speaking, you know, I'm in my sixties, generationally, I see very different kinds of questions that women are asking coming into the ordained life. And so I feel that the women coming up behind me are asking their own questions Mm -hmm. about gender and vocation. And I want to listen to them and to honor them uh, to see, because I feel like there was a a level of, um, so there's just some really interesting conversations happening Mm -hmm. around role and gender, identity, uh, sexuality, all of those things. And I was blessed to have a pretty easy go of it in terms of my own ordination because of the struggles of other women so I'm trying to do my part for others, sure. you know, to make sure that others have a door open. Sure. But I'm also seeing, and this is something that you were getting at earlier, Leila, that, you know, people are redefining the role. And yes. that's, you know, uh, I'm seeing that. And it's it's really sometimes it's a struggle for me. <laughs> and I have to and I have to listen and learn and grow. Right. Well, for me, I think it's us just again being who we are. showing up in the places and spaces that God has given us the opportunity to do so. I think that is an encouragement and gives hope to, Mm -hmm. to those who are struggling and wrestling with their call. And I also often remind people, humanity may be confused. God is not. So if God is calling you, then lean in, lean in. My sisters, Mm -hmm. I can't believe that we've come to the end of our time together Um, Just being in conversation with you gives me hope, and I'm sure it will give hope to those who listen to this podcast. Again, I will be forever grateful that I began my Episcopal leadership having the privilege to serve with two phenomenal women such as you. Thank you for this opportunity to be in conversation. I'm sure it won't be in our last. I'm sure we'll see each other in those streets again. But again, thank you so very much. Thank you. A great joy. And thank you for the ministry. Thank you.